0: You can be turning to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We will read our text in just a moment. If you follow along as we have gone through the book of Hebrews, you know that my approach has been throughout our look at the book of Hebrews to take these big flyover passages Trying to make sure that we connect the dots for the argument going through it. And uh, we have come kind of to a critical point. Strike that. I don't want to say that any part of God's word is more important. We've come to a summary point. We've already began the summary point. And so possibly just for today I'm going to slow down. And my text will only be two verses today from the book of Hebrews. Before we do that, I want to remind you of where we've been. Because I speak much less frequently, I'm just going to run through a summary of where we have been. First of all, I want to remind you that the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were suffering and were tempted to return to the old covenant ways. They were trying to find relief from their sufferings. The book of Hebrews was a sermon written to show that the old covenant was not effective. It was good, but it was not effective and was only a shadow that pointed forward to the real work done by Jesus Christ. Up to this point, we've seen the writer of the book of Hebrews build a case for how Christ. And his work in the New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant. And what these suffering Christians were tempted to go back to. So the New Covenant is better than what the Hebrew Christians were tempted to go back to. Third, broadly we could say that Hebrews 1 through 7 have told us who Christ is. And that Hebrews 8 and 9 have told us what Christ has done. As we've gotten to chapter 10... Chapter 10 was a culmination of what the writer of the book of Hebrews has been sharing about the work of Christ. That passage summarized and shared with us how Christ is the perfect sacrifice and the only sacrifice God was pleased with. In the last part of chapter 10, we looked at how the writer began to give us the proper response to all that he's been teaching us about Christ in the New Covenant we were exhorted to hold fast the confession of our hope and consider, and were to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The proper response is not to turn away from Christ because of what we're going through. The proper response is to turn to Christ because of what we're going through. And then last time I spoke, we looked together at we, what we saw. I'm sorry. We, last time we looked together... At this, we saw how the Old Covenant saints were commended by God because they trusted in God and his promises. They trusted in God and his promises to be assured of the things they hoped for and to be convicted or convinced of the things that they have seen. Hebrews chapter 12, let me read verses 1 and 2. Follow along with me, please. and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Father, we come today thankful for the work of Christ. And as we talk about it in our sermons from all places in Scripture, and as we remark about it, even as we sing about it, we glory, we rejoice in the work of Christ. And so, Father, as we come to this passage today, and this passage lays out, A course for us in relation to how life is difficult and how this wonder of the work of Christ is there. Uh, It it provides salvation for us, but also it is an encouragement to us. And I pray that your spirit would be with us and help us to see the wonder of what Christ has done and to, to continue to run the race, though life is not easy. I pray that you would be with us, that you would make your word clear. You would make my voice clear this morning, and I pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our goal today is to take what we've learned from the great cloud of witnesses and to see that we are to stay in our race. Last time, we spent time talking about these, this great cloud of witnesses, and we, we talked about how it's not a cloud of witnesses to say Hold up Moses as the great Christian. Just be like Moses. Hold up Abraham as the great Christian. Just be like Abraham. We said it was not that. It was to see how that they were people who trusted God in relation to what God had told him and the promises that he gave and they trusted God and were able to continue in their race and God commended them. He showed his favor upon them for their trust in him. Now it was not a cause and reward or work and reward situation, he was simply saying that their faith was the reason that um, they trusted in God. They saw things they couldn't see and they had evidence of things that they couldn't see. As we start chapter 7, there's a scene, an illustration that's painted for us. The The scene is that the writer of Hebrews is using the situation of an, an Olympic race for an illustration. And of course, you can think about the Olympic Games, but maybe you can think more uh, in the line of the original Olympic Games. He's using that kind of situation to illustrate what he has taught and apply it to our lives as Christians. He's first of all, and, and, and in our thinking, firstly, he's applying it to these Hebrew Christians who are suffering and thinking, I don't know if I can keep going. I didn't suffer so much as as a person under the old covenant. Maybe I'll go back to the old covenant. It was almost as good, wasn't it? Or it was just as good. And of course, he's made the argument that it is not and that that whole covenant didn't save. It simply pointed to Christ and the work that he would, would do. So now he's, he's brought us into this picture. He's planted us in a, in a coliseum if you want and he's uh, bringing before us the illustration of racers on uh, different races during a whole day of competition in a com- coliseum at least some part of the race and, and the race that is r- spoken of here is not, not 100 yard dashes it's not long jumps it's not um, the 400-yard race, This, he's, he's using the illustration of marathons. And so at least some part of the race took place in something like a stadium. And there were many spectators. People gathered to watch. Races were run all day. Race would run, a winner to be clear, be declared, and I don't know if they gave second and third and fourth places that doesn't really matter to the illustration. But the race was run, and the winners at the end were then seated. Say there was an 8 o'clock race. The race was run, and the, and the winners from the 8 o'clock race were placed in a certain spot in the Coliseum. They don't do like necessarily they do today in the Olympic Games, where once a race is complete, completely complete, they would have the award ceremony where they'd have the different stands and people on different levels. That didn't take place. Rather, those people were seated, and they waited, and then the second race was run, and the winners went up to that same kind of area and sat in the stadium watching the rest of the races, and that would go on all day, and racers would accumulate, and winners would accumulate in the stands, and they would wait until the evening for their prize, and of course, their prize was just a a laurel wreath that was plaited for them, and... uh, So they were given that at the end of the day. People who were in the race could remove anything that would hinder their ability to run. And many of you are probably sitting there inside snickering now, thinking, I know about those those old Olympic Games. Those people run naked. And of course they did. Their thought was, I am going to take off everything, anything that hinders me from running. And... um, I would imagine also, because of the way the illustration runs here, and it just makes sense because that's the way it is. I remember, this is a, an offshoot of the illustration. I remember as a kid uh, hearing about Olympic Games and swimmers and that they would shave their head to become more aerodynamic. And if they were a man with a lot of body hair, they would shave the hair off their body to be, I said aerodynamic. I meant aqua dynamic. Uh, they would do whatever it took to get that little bit more speed. And, and these people also, they would do whatever it took. Not only would they run naked, but they would, they would diet and you know, exercise. And they wouldn't go around with my six-pack to be able to run. That would hinder them. They would work to, to shed all the weight that was necessary so that they could run to the best of their ability. And so this is the scene that the writer of the book of Hebrews is painting, this coliseum with runners and winners and gathered in areas and people who have prepped for the race, both who have prepped in the past and, and diet and exercise and have prepped, prepped at, the moment, at the present moment in removing every stitch of clothes so they could run to their absolute fastest. That's the scene. And so he starts in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, before he talks about runners, he talks about people in the stands. This cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses. This cloud of witnesses points back to chapter 11 all of chapter 11, the list of people who are there that are commended by God. He's saying, okay, I've painted this picture of these people who have, who have trusted God for things they couldn't see and were convicted of things they couldn't touch. And so they trusted God and, and they followed God in the race and God commended them. Okay, you come up here and sit. You're going to be rewarded. You wait. Your reward is coming. Remember we... the Anyway... You wait, (laughs) I was going to explain another verse, but that would go too far into You wait, your reward is coming. There was this great crowd of witnesses that are now accumulated. And and these witnesses are drawn forth as a, a way to illustrate and a way to encourage these people concerning their race that's to be run. These people were commended for running their race. These are the ones who have run earlier in the day. These are the ones who've won their races and are now sitting in the stands waiting till the end of the day to receive their reward. And the writer is making the connection that since these have run their race and been commended by God for trusting his promises, um, we should look to them for encouragement. We should transfer how they have done it and let that be an encouragement to us. So he starts right out by saying, remember, I've just talked about all these witnesses. They're a great cloud of witnesses. He's saying, let me use that as an example. So he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he goes on to say, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He's saying, just like these people who we've looked at, we've looked at, we've looked at Elijah, we've looked at Moses, we've looked at Abraham, we've looked at Abel, we've looked at a whole host of people. He's saying, let's do what they did. Let's lay aside every weight and let's lay aside the sin which clings closely. Apparently, those who were part of the great cloud of witnesses had been people who laid aside every weight and sin which clung closely. Now, I said every weight. They were not sinless. What one of us can't think of Abraham lying to about his wife. What one of us can't think of Jacob being a deceiver. What one of us can't think of of Isaac lying about his wife or some of the other people. What one of us can't think of Rahab. What was her life? She was a harlot. They weren't sinless. They didn't lay aside every sin. Now, this is not saying, oh, that excuses you. It's saying in the race, they came to points where they had to deal with things. This is speaking of how they had to deal with their sin to be able to run their race. It is speaking of how they had to shed the weight of some of the things around them, even good things, to be able to run the race. The writer is arguing that we are to lay aside every weight and sin that clings close to us, just as those who have already run had to lay aside sin and wait to win. And so, what I'm going to do for just a couple of minutes is take us back into the Colosseum. We're taking our microphone, <laughs> we're not. But we're thinking about Abraham, and we're going to think about Moses. And think about that phrase let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely. And think about their situation and use those as examples, just like the writer of Hebrews wanted for us. So let's ask, what did Abraham have to lay aside? Well, first of all, Abraham had to lay aside a comfortable home in Ur of Chaldees. He had it nice. From every indication... He was part of a wealthy family. For every, every indication, he had a nice home in the Ur of... And now, it doesn't describe it or anything that, like that, but as he is described, he is a man of means. And then, of course, he left Ur and ended up in Haran for a while, and God called him out of that, and he had to leave aside the life of comfort in the land of Haran. It wasn't a sin to live in a nice house. It wasn't a sin to be a man with means. But it was a weight that hindered him because God said, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a land that is yours and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to give it to your posterity. I'm going to give you a land that is as far as, and as wide, high and long and wide or however you want to say it, as you can walk. It's yours. And to get that He had to lay aside the weight of living in Ur, living in Haran, and go. And he did. Was it a struggle? Doesn't talk about it. We do get a hint. He took his dad with him from Ur to Haran. Got stuck there for a while. God said to him again, I want you to leave this place and your father. Go to the place. He had to make the decision again. He had to put off that weight. So he he left a comfortable home in Haran. Secondly, he established, I'm sorry, he left an established home and property in Haran to live in a tent. He went from living in a house to living in a house light. not Just a mini home. Some of you have We've talked and looked at those pictures of those houses that are like on a travel trailer. That's not what he had. He had a tent. And he lived in a tent all his life to follow the promises of God. So he had to lay aside a permanent structure. Never ever did he live in a permanent structure once he lived. Thirdly, he had to um, shed the sin of unbelief He was being weighed down by unbelief. He doubted that he and his wife could have a child. God came to him a couple of times. I'm going to give you a child. It's going to be by her. But God, I'm 75. How about Ishmael? God says, no, it's going to be by her. So he had to shed the weight of sin and, and trusting in working things out on his own. Trust God and go forward and eventually... At a hundred or ninety-nine, quibbles over a year, God gave him that child. He had to lay aside the lack of understanding when God says, I'm going to give you a son, and he finally gave him a son. And in the course of having that son and that son growing up, God comes to him and says, Now, Abraham, I want you to take your son up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him in sacrifice to me. I don't understand, God. It doesn't compute. And he had to lay that aside and say, God has promised me this son. And he promised me posterity through this son. He's given me the son. He's telling me to take the son away. I've got to throw this sin off. I don't know how not to trust God. I've got to trust God in this situation. I don't understand. And so Abraham had to lay aside his, his his inability to understand, to be able to run the race. Didn't mean that he went on nothing. He had the promise of God that he would have a son and he had the command of God to kill him. And so he trusted God, said, I don't see how it can work out. But since you have said both, I'm going forward. I'm running the race. What about Moses? What did Moses have to lay aside? Well, we can go into a lot of things, but through the course of events that God orchestrated, he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter and lived in the palace and grew up in the palace and received the education In the palace, and was able to drink from cups that the palace provided, and eat food and wine that the palace provided, and had the daily life uh, events that the palace provided, wore nice clothes. If there was coolness of Egypt, he had it. (laughs) Who knows? But he had all that. God said, I want you to go and to give it all up. He, he went from being part of the privileged caste and say, I'm going to go be part of God's people who in the eyes of the people he had just came from were the despised class. To run his race, he had to be willing to shed the weight. It wasn't anything wrong with being part of royalty. It wasn't anything wrong with having these nice life events. But God called him to run a race. And he had to shed that weight to be able to follow the Lord. God called him into that situation. He had to deal with the insecurity of being part of God's people. Moses also had a situation. You remember how he left because he killed these people? He thought he was doing God's work right. and God found out, runs for his life, and he's in the desert. God meets him at the flaming, fiery, burning bush, rather, and uh, sends him back. What was Moses' response? I can't speak. Uh, In a sense, you can see, not only is there his fear of speak, there's his fear of going back. I don't like this situation, God. I ran from there because people didn't like me. I was in danger. It might cost me something. He had to lay that aside to run his race. The weight of fear that came from seeing Pharaoh, not the same Pharaoh, but seeing a Pharaoh again. Oh, I've heard about you. It's good you're back. We can deal with you had to leave that all to the Lord. Scripture even mentions here the weight of the fear that came from crossing Pharaoh or crossing the Red Sea I'm sorry, and going through and trusting the Lord through that. Put that aside. Trust the Lord. I don't know how God holds up walls of water, but he said to do it, I'm going forward. Well, those are two. You can actually go through the whole list of those in the Colosseum who are listed in verse, or chapter 11 and see that these are people who had to lay aside weight and sin to be able to follow the Lord. Let me ask you this. What weight and sin clings closely to you that you have to lay aside? What kind of things tempt you to look back from following Christ? What are the things that you say in your life? I hope this never happens, because I don't know if I would continue to walk with the Lord if that happens. Those are weights and sins you need now. God will deal with them in order and as necessary. I'm not trying to get you to fear every possible fear in your life and have to do, but God will deal with them as necessary. Let me just give you some suggestions. You might be afraid that your trials may cause you to lose everything. Boss falsely accuses you of work, at work, of doing something wrong. You lose your job. Because you have no job, you lose your pay. Because you lose your pay, you lose your house. Because you lose your house, oh, where will we live? You say that you don't know if you can live poor or even destitute. What do we do in those kinds of things? Now, again, I'm throwing this at you and I don't want you to think at all coming at you at once. God has built it just like Abraham's situation progressed slowly and he dealt with the things as God brought them to his life. But because he was a man who said... This is God's promise. I will trust him in it. When a situation came up, he struggled with it. By God's grace, in the places that he needed to, the weight was put aside. Yes, I'll go to Canaan. Yes, I'll live in a tent. Yes, I'll wait. Yes, I'll wait. Yes, I'll wait until he's 99. It came, and each one had to be dealt with as it came. Another situation you may say that your Christianity makes your marriage difficult. You don't know if you can live with your mate at odds with you. I don't know if I want to continue to be a Christian. Trust the promises. Look to Christ as we'll and talk about in just a minute. You may say, I'm afraid biblical conviction, convictions will cost me my job, or it'll cost me peace in my neighborhood, or it'll cost me persecution. Do those things tempt you and pull at you to say, "I don't know if I want to keep following Christ?" Those are the kind of things you need to put aside. Those are the kind of things you need to address if you're going to run with endurance the race that's set before you. What kind of things might cling close to you that, that are not sinful but weigh you down and keep you... I've sort of already already intermixed these, but what kind of things might cling close to you that, might, that are not sinful but might weigh you down and keep you from effectively running for Christ? Do you have such a strong desire for a settled and quiet home that you're not willing to run for Christ as you want, uh, ought? Do you have a desire to live where, you're, where you've always wanted? I'm thinking of Abraham and Ur. I never thought I'd move away from my parents. Never had a desire to move away from my parents. But I don't live with my parents or anywhere near my parents. And that was sort of hard to begin with. Do those kind of things keep you from following the Lord in the race that he's laid before you? What are the sins? What sins do you have that you do not want to give up that drag you down and tempt you to quit the race? Please don't think I'm confusing this trying to confuse you with the, the sins that you struggle with, that you want gone, and you're seeking the Lord's help, what kind of things, rather, are you dealing with that are sins that you say, I don't want gone. I want to be like this. I do not want to give these things up. Those kind of things will hinder you in a race. Now, actually there, we're touching into things that Christians going to want to seek the Lord. We'll struggle, and we'll go through seasons where that... But we're called to lay aside the sins that weigh us down. What are you called to do? Now, let's turn that phrase around and say, what are you called to do? Maybe you're sitting here and saying, David, you've been speaking about some things that I'm struggling with. You know, I, uh, some of these things I can see where I fit that category. What do we do? What do I do? How do, how do I approach this? Well, scripture here, he says, and we've, already, we've said the statement thousands of times, many times today. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the first thing that we do. Lay aside that weight. Examine yourself for the weight and the sin that clings close. What kind of things are discouraging me from running for the Lord? What kind of things are keeping me from walking in a way that's true and in accordance with God's commands and promises? Abraham and Moses had to lay aside great situations to run their lives. When situations come up that cause us to wonder about our... Ability to endure, we need to see if there is extra weight or sin. If we're in a situation where, Lord, I, I'm discouraged in the Christian life, that's the time when you examine yourself and say, Is there something there? Am I carrying unnecessary spiritual baggage that's causing me to not want to go on? If I'm discouraged in the Christian life, <coughs> It's the time to ask, are there things in me, sins in me, that I need to, to lay aside? And, and lest, lest I leave a foothold, foothold for the devil, you can be discouraged in the Lord and there not be weight and there not be sin that you need to lay aside. Because in the Christian life, there are times when we as Christians do struggle. We have cause for, oh, Lord, I want to be, and I'm not. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea where you're wondering if you don't want to go on, if you're, you're losing your desire to go on. I'm not talking about the person who wants to go on and feels a coldness. I'm talking about the person who doesn't want to go on, and you're starting to see that. You're getting scared, thinking, I, I don't know if I want to continue. In this Christian life. I read an article this morning. That just floored me. I won't give his name or the circumstances. But a popular former Christian author. Has given up. And said that he is no longer a Christian. And I think it is partly because. He has been unwilling to shed the weight of discouragement. And and accepting things he shouldn't have said. He's been unwilling to to turn and to say, okay, Lord, I, I did wrong. Here's where I need to go. In those times of discouragement, examine yourself. If you come to the point where you're questioning whether you want to go on, examine yourself. Lay aside the sin that clings close. Those things that you see, and ask the Lord to show you. Confess and repent from those. Lay aside the weights that hinder. God has been calling you to do something. And you say, but God, I don't want to be poor. Or God, I don't want to live in Arizona. It's a hot place. That's why I picked it. For whatever the case, when you find yourself in that situation where you don't know if you want to go on with the Lord, that's a time to ask, a- am I holding on to weight? Am I dealing with sin that isn't being dealt with? You need then to lay those things aside. It involves confession and repentance of the sin that lays so close. Lord, you know I'm struggling with this. And it is wrong. And I confess it is wrong. And I choose to turn from it. Lord, help me to turn from it. And you may struggle with that, and you may see yourself back at that same step several times. But in that moment where you're struggling, whether you want to go on and you see that there's sin in your life, you need to confess and repent and turn. Trust the Lord. And of course, by God's grace, did he have to convince Sarah Abraham to go? I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to make her as the... Or did Sarah hear the thing and she say, Abraham, this sounds great, and Abraham's going... oh, Lay aside those weights. Trust the promises. That's what chapter 11 is pointed out, among other things. These were people who in the midst of their circumstances, some of them had to deal with sin... Some of them had to lay aside weights, but they all come back to the point where when God had promised, when God had commanded, they said, That's what we're going to do. And they stood on those. They stood not only on this is what God said to do, they stood on God said, He'll be with you, or He will give you that, or He will strengthen you. They trusted those promises. So, when you find yourself in that point where you don't know if you want to go on, first of all, examine yourself for the weight and sin that clings close. Secondly, verse 2 goes on to speak about run with endurance the race that is set before us. Kind of focus on that idea of endurance. I was a runner once. College, I weighed a whole lot less than I do. I kind of enjoyed it a little bit when I made myself do it. I am not an experienced runner, and so I'm going to throw out terms that I felt a little bit, but not like many of you. Like all long distance races, there are many reasons to quit. If you're running, you may hit the wall, I think they call it, or you feel like you're just absolutely spent there's nothing else to do you can do you feel weak or maybe you have pain or you've injured your foot or your leg or your knee or maybe your sh- shoulder is hurting or your back is cramping and you go I don't know if I can continue or you're running and you're thinking it's not too bad you're getting tired you think you may be be able to make it and you turn the corner oh I've got to run the Ravine Hill. That's up 81. Six miles. And you think, how am I ever going to make it? I don't know if I can keep going. These things happen to, to long races. And the Christian race is filled with many circumstances that may do the same thing to you, cause you to want to quit. You've lived your life with the Lord for X amount of years, Things have been difficult, but the Lord has brought you through, and you come to that trial that you never thought you'd face. And you come to that trial, and you think, Oh, I don't know if I can face that. I don't know if I can go up that hill. (coughs) You've run your Christian race, and it's gotten to the point where it feels like a drudgery. You're tired. You wish you could be with Christ and it'd be done. How do I keep going? You've dealt, or maybe you've dealt with the same sin a thousand times, and you're discouraged. Lord, how can I? I don't know if I even want to keep going. I've come to you, and I've confessed this sin. If I've done it once, I've done it six thousand times. Literally, I don't know how to be done with this sin. And you say, I don't know how to keep going. Or trial after trial keeps coming. And you don't understand what God is doing. God, how could this happen to me? And you're getting weary in your race. And you're getting to the point where you say, I don't know if I can keep going. Now hold on. This is not a bootstrap statement. But let me say this. You are called to run with endurance. Even at those points. And please don't think that it's a bootstrap statement because he gives us how to do it. There is nothing that comes into the Christian life that God says, okay, I'll let you off the hook. You don't have to be a Christian. That's too hard. Never comes to that. He calls his people to run with endurance. And look back through chapter 11 in your mind. Remember the phrase, sawn in two? That was probably Isaiah. Jeremiah, thrown in a mud pit, almost starved to death and abandoned. <laughs> Where to keep going. <clears throat> and they did. How do we keep going when we want to quit? Well, it just so happens that the writer of Hebrews knows that we're thinking about asking that question. And so he answers it. He says, um, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance that is set it, set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. now, I'm only going to touch at the beginning of this because the next time we look at this, we go on into the rest of the chapter and talk about more things. But let me give you some of what's here. How do we keep going when we want to quit? First off, I want to point out that it says looking to Jesus. I want you to notice it doesn't say look to Jesus, but rather it says looking to Jesus. It's not in our Christian life that we are going along and things are oh, all right and then they start to get a little hard and you know we make it through and we you know we struggle and and then every once in a while we get a little discouraged and we take a quick glance at Jesus and oh okay. And we keep going. It is this idea that we as believers are people who set our eyes on Jesus. We look to Jesus, we keep our eyes on him continually. In looking to Jesus, we realize that this is the one, as this phrase speaks of, he's the one who's created us, created in us faith to believe. He's the one who's constantly working to make our faith to grow and to mature, to make it complete. Things are discouraging. What do we do? First of all, we've talked about this idea of dealing with sin, and I don't want to leave that out, and dealing with the weight. But we look to Jesus and we look at him and realize that he's the one who brought us to this point. He enables to believe and he is the one who will continue to enable us to believe. He is working to make our faith com- uh, mature. He is working to make our faith complete. We need to look to Him. And there may be moments where we cry out and say, Lord, I need your help. Help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. Help me to remember the promises. Help me to remember that you have promised to be there. He's the one who enables us. It is by the grace that He supplies that we're enabled to endure. And so we would be constantly desiring from him the grace to endure. Going back to the illustration of the, the Olympic Stadium, the people who ran the races earlier, often people later in the day, would pick someone who'd ran before, had been a long race, would think about what they went through and how they made it, and they, as they ran, and I, again, this is, this is, you know, we're not trying to puff up in our own strength, but they would keep their eyes on that one. Now, we don't keep our eyes on Jesus as just an inspiration. We keep our eyes on him because he's the one who's going to minister to us the things that we need. He's the one who enables us. We're looking to Jesus. He's our example. The passage goes on and we're only going to be able to get into a bit of it but the passage goes on to see to show that our founder and perfecter of our faith has run the race already and he completed it because he looked toward the joy that he would receive, the joy that was set before him. We're to see that our founder and perfecter of our faith endured the cross and despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, He has realized the joy that was set before Him. Now, this is not just a Jesus did it, so can I. This is a Jesus did it. He knows what He's been, what I am going through. He has pro, He has worked to provide the grace, the position for me to be able to receive help from the Lord. I am looking to Him and thinking He's done it all. He's run it. His race was harder. And that's some of the things we'll get into when we look into it the next time. His race was harder. We have never competed in a race as difficult as his. He knows what it takes. He has provided what it takes to get through. Look to this one. Stand in his promises. Stand in his grace. Beholding our Savior and his work for us strengthens us. We need to be looking to Jesus to strengthen our faith. We need to be looking to Jesus as the object of the faith. He's the one we're running for. You're going out, life's getting discouraging because your neighbors are not liking you, because your boss is making things difficult for you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm not running to please my neighbors. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm not running to please my boss. By God's grace, I'm running... For Jesus i'm and, and not earning anything for him or anything it's my life is set on doing what he's called me to do. we are looking to Jesus because he's the source of our faith he's the one who's given us faith he's the one who's perfecting it he's the one we are to cry out to that our strength will be strengthened so we, we We've a sense just begun some of the things that he's going to talk to. But brothers and sisters, there are in our lives things that may cause us to get to the point where we say, like the Hebrew Christians because of suffering, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can put another foot forward in my walk with the Lord. What do we do? We lay aside the sin and the weight. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to run this race with success, we're going to have to be putting off that weight and sin. And we're going to have to be looking to Christ. If you're here without Christ, you may be saying that it seems to cost an awful lot to be a Christian. Not trying to cover anything over. You're right. Costs everything. It costs Christ an infinite cost. Serving Christ brings trial and hardship. Sometimes it's discouraging. But is it not worth it to be delivered from God's wrath against your sin? To be delivered from eternity and hell? Now, I say that statement, please don't think that I'm saying, oh, a little bit of suffering earns for you. No. In God's work, these things come. Christ has done it. But there is a salvation out there provided by Christ that's free. Life's not fun, but it's worth it. Because Jesus came and ran that race and his race was to live the perfect life and to die in your place suffering God's wrath to provide salvation for you. Turn to that and trust it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us. Help us, Father, to be people who, when we see discouragement and the Question of whether we want to keep going. Help us be people who examine ourselves, choose to put off the weight that hinders, choose to put off the sin that call, drags us down. Go to Christ for forgiveness, confess, repent. Help us to be people then who are looking to Christ, Lord, not just when discouragement comes. Help us to be people who are looking to Christ throughout our race. Help us to be people who are quick to say. I'm paying attention to Jesus because I'm serving him. I pray that you would be with those who are here. We've not painted a very easy picture of Christianity today, but hopefully there is a beautiful picture there to those who don't know Christ. Because I, like everyone born in this world, was born dead in sin, and I was a rebel to God, and the only thing I deserved was God's wrath. And yet Jesus has come to die for us. He's paid the price of our sin, provided access into the very fellowship of God. So, Lord, I pray that you would draw many to yourself this morning. In Jesus' name.